with Scott Allen. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in this beautiful world. I am your host, Scott J. Allen, and this is Phrenesis, Practical Wisdom for Leaders. Now, I am a professor of management at John Carroll University in Cleveland, Ohio, USA. In addition, I'm a husband and father of three teens. Now, this is a family endeavor. Will played the intro, Kate voiced the intro, and who knows, you may hear from Emily a little later. I'm also an author, entrepreneur, speaker, and co-founder of the Collegiate Leadership Competition. I love to travel, explore new places with family, and learn from others. Phronesis offers a smart, fast-paced discussion about all things leadership and followership, if we're honest. My guests are scholars and practitioners, and we cover relevant topics and incorporate practical tips designed to help you make a difference in how you lead and live. I am proud to share a few updates. According to Listen Notes, Phronesis is listed as among the top 3% of podcasts in the world because of you. So thank you. In addition, the podcast has two sponsors. First, Phronesis is the official podcast of the International Leadership Association, an association that is near and dear to my heart. ILA brings together leaders and those who teach, study, and develop leadership, advancing leadership knowledge and practice for a better world. Learn more at ila-net.org. My second sponsor is the Bowler College of Business at John Carroll University. At Bowler, we offer several advanced degrees and MBAs, and I'm confident that there's one that will fit your location, interests, and timeline. In fact, our online MBA is ranked as the number one in Ohio and number nine in the United States. We offer international study tours, a contemporary and forward-looking curriculum, and access to senior leaders and flagship organizations. Learn more at business.jcu.edu. You can find links to both sponsors in the show notes. Now, if you like what we're up to, please hit subscribe so you can stay current as we release new episodes each week. You can also share what we're up to with others, friends, colleagues, leaders, teams, students, and others you think will benefit. And now, today's show. Okay, everybody, welcome to the Phronesis Podcast. Thank you for checking in wherever you are in the world. Good evening, good morning, good afternoon. I have a returning guest today, one of my earliest guests and I'm so excited for this conversation. I have Dr. Sarah Safari. She is an author, speaker, mountain climber, college professor, electrical engineer, and an advocate for women empowerment. She is the founder and president of a nonprofit called Climb Your Everest that focuses on empowering marginalized young women through educational programs. She has received the award for the Global Citizen from the United Nations Association in 2015. She is a board member and director of Development in Empower Nepali Girls Foundation. She also has received the award for outstanding practice with board impact in the area of women and leadership from the International Leadership Association in 2017. Sarah is the first Iranian in history to climb the seven summits, the seven highest peaks on each continent. Sarah, the last time we spoke, you had one left. You had one left. And I just, I emailed you, gosh, it might've been about three or four weeks ago. I was watching on Netflix, a kind of a visual of some of our conversation in this series called Aftershock. Yeah. And that was a powerful, powerful story. I want to get to that, but I want to start. You did it. You did it. Uh-huh. Didn't you? <laughs> Finally, after seven years, after the earthquake, it took me seven years really to 
convince myself and go back and finish the seventh summit. Yes, I did. I finished. <laughs> so talk about the experience. Can you just share a couple stories from what it was like on the mountain and what it was like to achieve your goal? If you remember in 2015, uh, when I was at 20,000 feet, there was a 7.8 earthquake that struck Nepal and I was climbing a ladder and you probably watched it in Aftershock, the series on Netflix. You kind of have the image right now that the earthquake happened. It was very dramatic, very scary. I felt that I'm dying. I felt that I'm going to fall down uh, in the, into a crevasse buried under the snow. So that wall that I faced, the, all those fears, all those trauma that I faced in 2015, I kind of, I thought I, I've been working on them. I saw a therapist. I kind of, I felt like I really dealt with that trauma in the past seven years. But uh, four months ago, when I was on Everest and I faced that wall again, everything came back. It felt like this is it. This is the earthquake. I'm right in front of the wall and it's going to collapse on me. And it's this is it. I'm going to be buried alive again. And I was frozen and I was crying. I couldn't move anymore. And this, imagine it's like 6 a.m. It's 20,000 feet. It is cold. The whole team, some people are ahead of me. Some people are behind me. And they are looking at me, looking at this wall and just crying. And and first, nobody knew what happened because I didn't share uh, with, I guess, one or two people in the whole group, but not everybody in the whole team. So they were shocked that how come this girl, she's, she came here to climb Everest and she's crying? What happened? So then I had to share with everyone, not not there, not then, what, what happened in 2015. And we had an amazing team. So everybody was so understanding and kind of the situation. What happens on a very high altitude mountain, when you're climbing, you don't climb it once. You go up, you come back down a bunch of times. And so I had to face that wall six times. I had to climb that wall six times. Wow. The first time, of course, I was frozen and I was crying. And then I thought, okay, if this is how it's going to be, I'm not going to get to the top of the mountain because I, every time I get to the wall, I start crying. And uh, I decided I started dealing with my trauma right on the wall with my team members, with myself, writing, journaling every day because we were on the mountain for 60 days. So I had 60 days to process that trauma to be able to get to the top of the mountain that I always wanted to climb. Uh, so for people who are hearing right now, I want you to apply this to your trauma, the things that you're dealing with life. And it's very traumatic because I think while I was crying, it was not just for the wall. It was all the trauma that happened to me all my life growing up in Iran, dealing with everything that I had to dealt with in Iran, the oppressive environment which I'm going to tell you more about later, but it's like all my life trauma were right in front of me in my face. And I wanted to get to the top of Everest. So I kept writing, talking to the wall and telling the wall. First, I started by, I hate you. I don't like you. I don't want to even climb you. And then at the six times when I was climbing the wall, I told the wall, I love you. Thank you for keeping me safe that day. Cause I mean, I survived, I died and 
And I really appreciate you because because of what happened on that day, I got to do so much more for the girls that was so important for me. And I got to write a book and I got to do a TEDx talk and I got to do so much more just because of what happened on this wall. So I went from I hate you to I love you in 60 days, less than 60 days. I, can't, I think that was that was the reason I was climbing Everest, not the top. Wow. What a powerful, powerful story, Sarah. Mm-hmm. Powerful. Yeah. And it's just beautiful, the, the, the sixth attempt where you are kind of reconciling with the wall, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, and I remember first when I decided to climb Everest, it was last year right now. And I kind of, I was thinking like, I don't need to climb Everest. I, there is no reason for me to go up there. Why should I, why do I even want to go up there? It's another mountain. It's just a piece of rock. But the dealing with that trauma was so necessary, so important. When I was getting off of Everest, I felt like a feather. I was so light. I could fly. I just, I never had that experience before. Um, and I realized, wow, it was, I had to go back, you know, cause a lot of times we don't want to deal with our traumas. Who wants to deal with their trauma? It's just scary. Who wants to cry that much? You know, who wants to deal with it? <laughs> yeah. And what I was forced, I wanted to get to the top so bad <laughs> that I just had to face that trauma. I had to cry as much as I cried and I had to be brave as much as I had to. And I, I, I was, I got sick on the mountain a bunch of times, but then I'm like, I'm not leaving. I have to get up there no matter what. And I do my best. Of course, I had a very strong team of kind and amazing people who were very understanding of my situation. And I, told my guide, you know, you have all the power. If at any point you think I'm not, I'm not supposed to go up, just tell me, Sarah, go back home. You're not ready this year. But, <laughs> but then the whole time, the whole team, everybody were very supportive. And they're like, we don't understand why you didn't came back. Because a lot of people don't want to face their trauma. A lot of team members were sharing stories of other people who, never came back so like we had a very kind positive supporting team of people climbing the mountain so i here i want to thank madison mountaineering and my guide garrett madison and the whole team for being so amazing sarah tell me a little bit about the the summit attempt tell us about that day a little bit we woke up at 12 a.m of course we are at twenty-seven thousand five hundred feet we are sleeping at that elevation this is the last camp, camp four. 12 a.m., we wake up. It's so windy. The whole tent was shaking so badly. You At any point, you're like, just, I'm going to fly with the tent. And, you know, this is it. This is this is the end of my life. And, but then we woke up, of course, uh, had breakfast. And by breakfast, I mean, like, we made some hot water. We had some hot water. And I don't remember what I had, maybe some chocolate. I just wanted so excited to this is it like it's nine years every day i'm saying i want to climb everest nine years every day sometimes 10 times a day and then this is it this is the day this is the day i'm climbing everest of course you have headache it's like that elevation i've been coughing like crazy for the past 50 days so this is may 20th 2022 
Okay. We started going up. It was so windy. My toes and my fingers are extremely cold. And I think we woke up at 12 a.m. By the time I wore my clothes and I was ready and I ate something was 2 a.m. So I started really walking up at 2 a.m. And we are going up. You see a line of lights going up the mountain. It's very windy, but it's so beautiful and gorgeous at the same time. And at 6 a.m., we got to the balcony. Balcony of Everest, it's like at 28. 28,500 feet, I think. And then it's like, that's where you get to see the view of all the whole world, really. Because that's the only kind of flat part, halfway between Camp 4 and Summit. So you already went halfway. There's only, you're done with four hours of the climb. There's four more hours and you're at the top. So, but then still I'm tired, I'm thirsty, you know, I'm hungry and I haven't slept well for a few nights. I'm coughing, but who cares? I have to get to the top of the mountain. <laughs> so I continued going up from balcony and then we saw the sunrise. It was so beautiful. The whole world went yellow and orange and then, uh, and then the sun was out and it was just so beautiful because you're seeing these high, very, very high altitude mountains in the world and they are just orange and so beautiful. It's all white. And then on one side, it's Nepal and on one side, it's China and continued going up. And it was one more hour to the top. And I asked my guy, like, how much more? And he said, one more hour. And I couldn't believe it that it's nine years. It's nine years. <laughs> it's just one more hour. I was extremely tired, very tired. I couldn't move. I was, I, I just, I didn't have anything in me, but I thought there is no way. Like, I'm just going to give my 200%. I'm done with the 100. I'll just give the extra. I have to get to the top of this mountain. I'm not going to go back and down at this point. And so the last hour, I was extremely emotional. I, I, like 20 minutes before getting to the top, I'll just, I kind of, I was counting the time in my brain. And then uh, I think someone, maybe a guide or another climber told me 20 more minutes. And then I just lost it. I started crying. I was sobbing. I, and I couldn't see anything because I was crying so much. My uh, goggles were fogging. And I, I, of course I have oxygen mask on. My oxygen mask was hundred percent wet. I couldn't even take it off to clean my face because everything would freeze in a second. So I'll just have to keep everything. And it was so foggy. I kind of couldn't see anything, but I'm like, that's okay. I'll just, I, I could see only the footsteps of a person right in front of me. And then I'm like, I'm just going to follow that. And after 20 minutes, I saw the prayer flags on the top of the mountain. Cause there are a lot of prayer flags, which are the Nepali flags, which are blessed by the Lama. And the reason they are up there, because that on the flags, there are written prayers. And then they say when the wind comes, they take the prayer to the air. So everything becomes blessed and becomes safe. So it's kind of the reason that all the flags are up there. And then I saw the flags and I knew this is it. This is the top. And I'm only a few steps from it. And I started crying so badly. I fell. I fell on my knees because I was just so happy I've never been that happy my whole life. And I'm crying, crying. 
I didn't, I, I was looking at the summit and I couldn't even believe I'm there. So we were very lucky. There are not that many people on the mountain that day. So I, I walked up the mountain, I got to the top and I was standing there and I was looking around and I was like, how, how did this happen? Like, how, I couldn't even believe it or understand it. I, I was just kept thinking about the past nine years, but I didn't have any memories. And it felt like my whole life was summarized into this one second. And this is the most important second of my life. And every single cell in my body was dancing. I was just, <laughs> I felt like I'm one with the whole world. I felt so connected to everything. I, I can't even describe the feeling. I'm trying to put it into words. And I've been trying for the past few months to put words into that feeling. But I'm like, no, there's, there was more than this. It was more than this. So it was. And, and then, yeah. And then we took pictures for a few minutes. It was windy, of course, and cold. So we started walking down. And... I was so excited. I was just for, for days, I would say a month after May 20th, I was dancing in, in my heart. I couldn't believe it. <laughs> oh, talk about the, the, the way down. How does that work? It always, the, the stories always ends when, when someone summited and then, but uh, you're only halfway done. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I kept telling myself, you are only summited if you get to the base camp safely. So now I have, we have to go camp four, camp three, camp two, camp one. And then the most scariest part of the mountain is between camp one and base camp. So really you are, you're not, really haven't summited the mountain until you're in the base camp. Cause the worst part is at the very end. And uh, so I kept telling myself, you haven't summited, you haven't summited. Summit is like four days from now. Summit is four days from now. Keep your energy. You still have to stay uh, very healthy, take care of yourself and all that. On the way down, of course, you are extremely tired because you've kind of given everything on the way up. There is not much left. But then the excitement, the memories, I kept reviewing all the memories of the summit. (laughs) I like telling myself, wow, you did it. How did you, I mean, I, and I kept like kind of talking very positively to myself and, and then think about, I'm going to get to the base camp and give the news to my family. Uh, It was funny. My family, as soon as I came down to the base camp and I called my mom to say that I summited, she didn't care. She's like, are you okay? Are you healthy? (laughs) 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 you have 10 fingers and 10 toes oh wow and then and then i imagine it's it's a little bit of a celebration at base camp for those who've summited right yeah 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 everybody was so excited um uh, we were tired so we were just couldn't wait to come back down to Kathmandu to take a shower and, you know, just sleep on a regular bed and use a regular restroom and eat regular foods. It was just, we were all very, very, very tired, especially because we wanted to be safer. We had a very big group. We wanted to be safe. So we waited for everybody else to summit Everest and go last. Cause then remember those pictures of traffic on Everest and everything yes 
we didn't want that to happen to us because it's very dangerous. You know, if you wait in a, in a long line, you can get frostbite and everything. So we waited for all the other groups, all the other countries, all the other teams to summit. And then we went for the summit. We just wanted to have some alone time on the top of the mountain as well. So then imagine we waited like extra days on the mountain and we were all just couldn't wait to get to a shower and a regular food, you know. It was such an amazing experience for me. It was very spiritual. It was like I kind of, the summit was amazing. The feeling was great. It I needed to get to the top of that mountain, I guess, for my mental health I guess but it was, it was not just about that five minutes on the summit it was really about that 60 days of staying with the mountain staying with the trip not thinking about the top just staying with the mountain and staying present in the moment and enjoying every single moment because you know you have no idea until five minutes to the top if you're going to make it to the top or not if you don't enjoy the other 59 days and uh, 23 hours then you haven't really enjoyed that 60 day trip so i kept telling myself there's no guarantees we cannot predict anything. Anything can go wrong at any moment. There's gonna be there could be avalanches and anything can happen. Just try to enjoy every second of it and try to find growth for yourself in every single second of it. And of course, I was doing fundraising throughout the whole climb. So it was very important for me to keep giving reports to uh, on my social media to people on how am I doing, what's happening. And that was the whole reason. I mean, really, I guess after nine years of climbing, for me, it was more important that I reach my goal of fundraising than getting to the top, even though I'm very happy that I made it to the top. Well, let's switch gears to that because, you know, climb your Everest. Tell listeners about, because all along, you have not only been challenging yourself, but you've been doing this in an effort to help others and raise awareness and build relationships and make connections and empower, as your bio said, young women around the world. So tell us a little bit about Climb Your Everest. I'm really interested in this. Last year, November, as I was planning to climb Everest, I thought it's nine years that I've climbed for seven different nonprofit organizations that are empowering women globally. And I been climbing different mountains to do that. So this is mountain number seven, the seventh summit. And it would be great if I can create more motivation for myself. That's my theory, that any person who is doing good, they need to make it very personal to be able to motivate themselves in a very hard days and difficult days. And for me to be able to connect to the mountain, to Everest, I decided to start my own nonprofit organization last year, November. And then I thought, you know what, I'm going to dedicate this climb to do fundraising for the nonprofit organization. So again, same as all the other six other summits, I said $1 per foot of the elevation of the mountain. And my original goal was to climb two mountains in a row. If you put the elevation together, it would be a number close to 60,000 feet. And my goal was to raise $60,000, which I reached my goal. 
And that made, I mean, as soon as I reached my goal, I thought, oh, okay, I don't have to summit the mountain anymore. Because <laughs> <laughs> I reached my goal before getting to the top of the mountain. So I was like, okay, I'm done. So the nonprofit that I founded last year, last November, Climb Your Everest, was inspired by the past nine years, by the past seven organizations that I climbed for, for inspired by all the women that I met in the past nine years, living in very rural places, not having access to any opportunities, but still being so powerful, so strong, so uh, smart and fighting and facing their challenges and got all those hardship stories was my inspiration to start this nonprofit organization. And it's only a year that we are working. And most of the year, to be honest, I was either training for Everest or climbing Everest or doing paperwork for nonprofit. (laughs) But now we are active in three different countries, empowering women. And I'm hoping by Next year, right now, I can tell we are active in many, many countries and we are empowering women. So I used my dissertation research, which was about empowering women in Nepal. Uh, I used that research to create a program. And now I'm using that to kind of empower these women. So by the whole goal, our mission is to empower marginalized women to have fulfilling lives and It's been going well. It's doing great. We've done a lot of virtual workshops. I use this methodology called VPAR, Virtual Participatory Action Research, which kind of virtual part of it came because I was doing my dissertation during COVID. So I was forced to do things virtually, which it is great because now we have the technology and we can access rural places that we couldn't access before. And we provide educational programs for women globally where before maybe we couldn't even able to reach or we didn't have the uh, technology. So that's really great. Now. So where what three countries are you working in? Because you just returned from Nepal, correct? You yes. You were actually in Nepal doing some work recently. Yes, yes. The workshops uh, we did in Nepal was in person, but the rest of the workshop is virtual. So Nepal, India, and Afghanistan are the three countries we are working in. India and Afghanistan are still virtual. I don't think I can travel to Afghanistan now, but hopefully in the future, if we can change the regime in Iran, then we'll inspire Afghani women to do something in Afghanistan. Well, I want to I want to go there in a little bit. I want to go there in a little bit, but I want to hear a little bit more about how how people can be involved or engaged in your work. For listeners who feel inspired by your story, your mission, how can people engage? How can people get involved? So people who are uh, who have studied psychology or leadership or sociology who have done such a thing like workshop and leadership courses for women or young women and they are interested to be a part of the leading uh, the workshops and be a volunteer in the organization, uh, they can kind of contact us through our website, Climb Your Everest. And we can work together, maybe collaborate together, maybe even nonprofits who are working in different countries and they are looking for programs similar to the programs that we have. Like we are teaching different skills such as self-confidence, communication skills, problem solving, mental health, effective feedback, critical thinking, 
conflict management, public speaking, financial literacy, team building, goal setting, and tempered radicalism. Kind of these are the different topics that we work on with these young women. And when the young women are trained, they go to other places to teach what they've learned to other women. Uh, we are hoping that we can make the whole thing virtual. So we are hoping to contact the Starlink and ask for their collaboration so that we can provide internet for women in very rural areas. So everybody can teach these classes virtually from anywhere in the world. So any of the experts could be a part of this big group of volunteers and we can um, educate people all over the world especially women in the, in the countries, in the areas that they don't have access to any sort of education. But until we become fully 100% virtual, we are experts who are willing to volunteer their time and energy. They can contact us and we can, they can be a part of training the trainers. For organizations, nonprofit or for-profit organizations who can benefit from this program or they can provide programs for these women, they are more than welcome to contact us and we can, I'm open to collaboration. And for women who are hearing this and they would love to be a part of these programs, uh, no matter where they are in the world, they, they are more than welcome to contact us. Uh, we also have workshops for women in the United States and each woman in the U.S. that they are participating in these workshops, they are paying for another woman in a rural village or a, a third world country to participate in these classes for free. People can contribute in any way or shape or form that they want to, and they can all contact us through our website, Climb Your Everest, or they can email me at sara at climbyoureverest.org. Well, that's wonderful. That's wonderful. And, and, and again, you're doing good in the world and trying to pay it forward and help other women uh, live into uh, whatever their Everest is. And I, so I love exactly. the name. I love the name. I love the story. <laughs> I love your mission. And Thank you me. had mentioned a little bit ago, uh, Iran, as the first Iranian to have climbed the seven summits, which is just incredible. Thanks. How are you thinking about current events in the country? How are you experiencing this? It's been the most difficult 60 days of my life, to be honest. It really feels like climbing Everest because it's such a... It, uh, people in Iran have been protesting in the past 60 days and just watching uh, the government uh, killing innocent people, innocent, very young people, teenagers, just for a peaceful protest that they're doing in the streets. They want to have freedom of choice. They want to be able to wear the things that they want to wear, not the things that are forced to them. They just want to be free and be able to do things. They want to have a relationship with the rest of the world, like kind of basic human rights that they are not provided for them. And so just watching the news, being very depressing, uh, we've been emailing a lot of journalists all over the world to cover the news. But the problem is Iran has oil and there are a lot of countries who want that oil. So they want the area to have peace so that they can keep using the oil. And if the government changes, it takes some time. And then 
I think there are a lot of governments. I mean, I'm not a politician, so I don't want to speak like a politician, but I know that because of Iran's oil, a lot of countries, a lot of powerful countries, they don't want instability in the area and they prefer to stay and work with the same regime. And But the people of Iran, they don't want it. And this movement is started by women. They've been trying to oppress women for the past 43 years. And it's just so beautiful watching women, very young women, teenagers, the new generation, they don't understand it. They want freedom. They want to be able to do the things that they really want to. And they are in the street protesting. A lot of kids are being killed. The Congress of Iran just uh, signed permission to kill 15,000 protesters. These are all young people. And they they arrested these 15,000 people in the past two months. And now the Congress signed to kill them. And that's unbelievable that this is happening on that side of the world and nobody is covering this. I did not realize that. So the government has authorized permission to to murder 15,000 protesters? Yeah, protesters, yes, unfortunately. And yesterday, there was an article that came out. One of these newspapers, they were fact-checking with a professor of history in Oklahoma or Texas to make sure that this is actually happening. And there was an article saying, no, this is a lie. Nobody's dying. But there are so many videos of Islamic Republic police, the government's police, who are killing people in the streets just because they are walking. They're killing them because they are walking. So it's not that they have guns. It's not that they are doing anything. There's so many videos of this. So there's, it's just, it, it doesn't even need a fact check. Just go watch the videos that are out there and people are videoing every day, even today. So it's, I mean, to be honest, a lot of countries in the world, they don't want the regime change. And it's just up to people of Iran. And it has a big price, unfortunately. It's it's very sad. It's It's been the most difficult 60 days of my life watching news and seeing innocent people, innocent, very young people being uh, being killed. Yeah, I saw something in the news of a, a climber who had uh maybe she was climbing it was an yeah. i think it might have been an indoor can you talk about that what did yeah you- she she actually took off her scarf during the competition her uh, competition was somewhere in europe or uh, korea i think and she took off her scarf and as soon as she got to her hotel they arrested her they told her you need to tell the news the government's news that this happened and you didn't see that your scarf fell. Tell him it just, but mistakenly your scarf fell. You didn't really want it to get rid of your scarf. And so you you should see that interview in her face. Obviously she's saying kind of copying or kind of repeating the words that they said. And obviously this is not the way she talks. And then kind of the words that she used in that interview, which are a big lie. She just did it to protect her own life and her family's life. It became a joke. Now everybody in the street, they take off their scarf. If they find a picture, they repeat her words. And it's kind of, it's a sad joke that people are trying to deflect the sadness and the anger by making jokes because it's so hard to tolerate this much pressure and 
watching all these killings and still performing, being able to function and being able to decide to still go to the street and do more protests. Well, Sarah, you you better than most people understand uh, some of the challenges that exist really all over the world. And like I said, the first time we talked on the podcast, I just have so much respect because you are out there in the world and and making a difference and trying to help individuals live better lives. And I think that's just such an incredible, incredible mission. And I just have such great respect. Thank you. I really appreciate it. What else? Anything else that you want to mention, Sarah, before we close out for today that uh, is on your mind? People can support us and support the Climb Your Everest organization by participating in our annual trips. Every year uh, we go to Nepal and we do workshops for women in different villages And I think it would be very valuable when we visit these villages and we do a workshop for these women because all the people in the town, in the village, they see that people have traveled from all over the world, especially United States, to help them, to support them, to empower them. The the people in the village see how much we value their women, that their education is so important to us that we traveled this far. So it's kind of helping these women, helping the people of village see the value of these workshops and allow their women to continue their education, allow their women to uh, participate in these workshops, get a job, be more independent, have more fulfilling lives. And I think when people come with me every year and they see these villages, visit the, the homes of the girls or even, even go to their schools, and do the workshops with me as a volunteer. It's a very life-changing experience. At the same time, the women, the young women get to meet people from different cultures, different backgrounds, and learn, get some experience and get more confidence that people care about them. People love them. They are important for other people. And I think that's another valuable contribution that people can do. Well, we will put information about that in the show notes so that listeners can click and they can explore. And of course, we'll have your contact information. I know that you're active on Instagram, active on LinkedIn, and just so that people can connect with you, follow, get engaged on any number of different levels. I mean, again, obviously you would take financial support, but you're also, it's it's the old time talent treasure, right? People's time, yeah. people's talents, yeah. people's treasure. I mean, I think you're doing incredible work in the world and trying to make the world a better place. And Sarah, I'm just so excited for you. I, I think at the la- at the last part of our of our conversation last time, I I said that I would call this episode "She Climbed Everest." I think is maybe what I had said, but there was a moment in this conversation where you said every cell in my body was dancing. I kind of like that title too. Sounds good. <laughs> so we'll see we'll see what we come up with we would love to have you back and we'd love to have you back and maybe uh next time we talk maybe we have a conversation with you and maybe some of the young women i mean that could be really really interesting getting some of their experiences how some of this 
some of this training and some of the workshops and the education, how it's impacting them. I think that could be a lot of fun. Yeah, that, that could be a, that's a good idea. Uh, but we need to do it in Nepal time. Yes. Yeah. Yes, we will. We will do that for sure. Maybe we'll be in Nepal. Who knows? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> like when your da- daughters are older, I think that would be a good idea to bring them to Nepal to meet the, the girls. Oh, wouldn't that be incredible? Absolutely How old are incredible. they now? They are 12. 12. Okay, three more years. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. <laughs> we will put it on the agenda. We will All put right. it on the agenda, Sarah. Thank you so much for stopping by. Welcome. Thanks for checking in. And uh, as always, thanks for the good work you do. Thank you. Thank you. It was great talking to you. Bye-bye. Bye. There are so many emotions kind of packed into that episode. Re-listening to it and editing it was just a, a, a wonderful experience. Uh, whether it's the story right out of the gates of Sarah on the wall and kind of confronting that experience or the joy and the elation of summiting and then the hope baked into the organization that she's starting and the purposing and then the pain and the struggle embedded in the story of her home country it really was, I was all over the place <laughs> from an emotional standpoint, just powerful. Uh, Sarah, you know how I feel. I said it a few times in the episode. I'm just so thankful that there are people like you doing the work out there in the world. And uh, I just, I'm, I'm so, so very thankful for the time that we spent together and that that story can be shared with others. Climb your Everest, whatever that Everest is for you. You have just finished another episode of Practical Wisdom for Leaders with Scott Allen. To contact me, visit www.scottjallen.net or send me a note at scott at scottjallen.net. I can also be found on Twitter and LinkedIn, so let's connect. Now, if you have feedback, I'd love to hear it. And as always, thank you so much for listening. One final nod to our sponsors, the International Leadership Association and the Bowler College of Business at John Carroll University. And now, here's Kate's twin sister, Emily, with the outro. You've been listening to Phronesis, Practical Wisdom with Scott Allen.